This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 87 of On the Banks podcast. This is Aaron Brightman, managing editor, and I uh, wanted to start off with a bit of an announcement. Our longtime host and producer, Lance Glenn, has uh, moved on. He uh, took a full-time position as a producer with 24-7 Sports. We wish him nothing but the best. I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge the great work that he's done with the first 86 episodes of this podcast. When I spoke to him two and a half years ago, he's elevated it to a point where I had never, to be honest, thought it could be. Amazing guests over the years and uh, great analysis and um, has really created something special uh, along uh, to be a a big part of, of what On The Banks does. So I can't thank Lance enough. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's still tweeting about Rutgers all the time. We'll probably have him back on here at some point as a guest uh, in the near future. But thank you, Lance, for everything. And, and we're talking now, uh, it's holiday week. Uh, Christmas is in a couple of days. The New Year is upon us. And um, obviously, 2020 has been a very strange year, uh, both in the world, uh, with everyone's daily life, uh, and, and in college sports as well. So as a Rutgers fan and uh, as a... Just overall, uh, I think there's hope going into next year. Um, but just touching on what football did to end the season last Friday, the loss at, uh, with Nebraska, three three wins the first season with Shiano's uh, return. The biggest takeaway for me is that I think this program is way ahead of where Shiano had it after his first year in his first tenure. A lot of that has to do with the infrastructure in place, um, but the, with the coaching staff that he's established, with the, the fan base support, being in the Big Ten is obviously a big help to that. Um, I think Rutgers fans, the biggest takeaway is that this rebuild is going to take time and, and need patience. But at the same time, I think that we've seen the floor raised very quickly. And for those fans that, that were around the first go-around back in 2001, 2002, I mean, those were dark days uh, with not a lot of hope. And Chiano just, you know, to his credit, built a program really out of nothing. Where this time around, I think we're seeing the benefit of him having some positives in place when he got here, and, and he's it, it's going to benefit his skill set even more. I think also his experience now coming to Rutgers after what he went through at Ohio State and in the NFL, he, he's a better coach, and I, I really think the future is bright starting in, in next season for the program. And of course, we're in the middle of basketball season. Uh, Rutgers right now is knocking on the door of a top 10 ranking. And I, I, I think for what I wanted to touch on big picture is how important it is for fans to enjoy this season. I think what is unique about this team, we're never going to have a Rutgers basketball team like this again in the sense of the circumstances that they're coming from. Uh, we're 30-year NCAA tournament drought. Uh, the way that Peichel has built this team, Geo Baker being his first recruit. Um, this, this is a special team for many reasons, uh, obviously starting with their performance and on the court, their versatility, the talent level, the way they've started the season. But I really feel like the, the, the personality of this team with the, the chips they have on their shoulders, uh, you know, talking about Ron Harper Jr. had one power, uh, high major offer. Geo had one high major offer. Miles Johnson had zero. You know, 
Rutgers is going to benefit from this this success. Steve Peichel has built a long time a long term winner, I believe, and you're not going to have guys with that type of, I think, lack of recruiting background in the future, which is obviously a positive. Uh, we're already seeing it with Coach Mamoruri, uh, Jaden Jones. These are top 100 recruits that Rutgers is going to get on a more normal basis, uh, and I think that. The, the, the real hope is with the, the way that Peichel has proven he can develop players, the, the more talent you get in, the, the higher the ceiling will go. But I, I, at the same time, I think it's really important to enjoy and appreciate every game this season. Obviously, for, for different reasons with, with the global pandemic, I think even just getting a game to happen is, is an accomplishment right now. Um, but also just with, with the makeup of this team. Uh, obviously, we hope... Um, you know, with it, the year of eligibility not counting, uh, that, that the bulk of the team comes back next season, but there's no guarantees. Um, so I, I think that enjoying every moment right now, uh, even if this team, to be honest with you, if they, if they don't finish as high or as far in the uh, NCAA tournament as people hope, I think the, the way we feel right now and what we're seeing and the, the pride you can take from it is really special. And I think that this is, this is a season to dare to dream. You know, we've gone from misery to uh, where we are now, where the sky's the limit. And uh, I think the circumstances for this season, uh, this team is built as, as well as any for this type of season in terms of a veteran team, a versatile team. Yes, death is a concern. But if you're not any team, not Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, or Duke, you know, you're playing six to seven poor guys. So, I, I think that if that's the one concern with Rutgers, <laughs> that, that's a luxury, especially after recent history. So I really implore Rutgers fans to appreciate this team specifically. Big picture, obviously, um, you know, Steve Peichel has this program uh, on, a, on a great trajectory long term. But um, we will always remember this team, no matter what they accomplish uh, at the end of the season. Uh, th- this, is, this is the core group that established uh, Steve Peichel's program and is going to build, uh, help build future success. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Aaron Brightman. I wanted to welcome Zach Braziller, uh, college sports reporter for the New York Post. Thanks so much for being here, Zach. And h- how are you? And uh, thanks so much. Uh, I-, I wanted to ask about just in terms of your job right now with COVID and the global pandemic and how that's affected things. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I mean, it's you know, it's changed things. It's a, it's a lot of working from my couch. Um, you know, go to some games here and there, but for the most part, I'm, you know, it's all Zoom. It's watching on TV, which is very different. But it's, you know, it's still now that we're back. I mean, we've been back for a while, obviously. It's, you know, it's still kind of the same thing. Covering games, trying to find good stories and, you know, hope the local teams can win a few games, I guess. I joke with a few other reporters, but it's it's like you're you, you know what it's like to be a blogger now, watching games on TV and writing recaps and things like that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm actually covering the Rutgers game today from from home. Obviously, they're at at Ohio State, and you know, I've done a few games there. I I, I actually went to one of the I think I went to the first Rutgers home play uh, home football game this year. I was there, and I've gone to a few Jets games covering them live. It's Tell you, being it's almost like you you get a better experience watching at home because when you're there live without fans and without sound, it's just so bizarre, you know. And at home, it kind of it feels different when you have the commentators and 
you don't really see the empty stands or the empty empty arena. I almost kind of enjoy being at home more because it just it, it feels more normal almost. How is his experience, you know, in your job kind of how do you think it will shape how you uh, approach it moving forward when, you know, we do get to whatever the new normal is uh, down the road and how you cover live sports? I think for me especially, I think I'm going to appreciate being there more. I think I'm going to appreciate the fans more. You know, I think sometimes we all just take it for granted. You know, I've thought a lot during this, you know, long delay. I've thought a lot about, like, what's it going to be like that first big game with, like, a huge crowd? You know, what's it going to be like uh, covering, a you know, a Mets-Braves game in, in September with 45,000? What's it going to be like covering a, you know, Rutgers-Seton Hall game that's sold out, you know? What's it going to be like covering a big St. John's game at the Garden? You know, I think it's going to be something we all really appreciate more. At least for me, I will. You know, just because of how different it is now. And look, it. You know, I do like all. Well, I do a little of everything at the post. You know, when it's not college season, I do a lot of baseball. And I covered a few Mets games this year. And it was. I'll be honest. It was depressing being at the ballpark without fans. It just. It, it was. I, I. I didn't feel the same thing at St. John's for home games this year without fans. I don't know why, but for some reason, baseball just felt just so empty being there live. Yeah, I agree with you. I think also even just watching uh, live from from home, I think it, you know, especially watching Rutgers at the rack right now and, you know, seeing a big play and then you see around and there's no one there. It it still has a little bit of an eerie feeling, I think, that's not really going to shake until things really change. I don't disagree with that. It does. To me, it's not nearly as bizarre and weird when you're at home watching on TV than being there when you're there it's just it's just re- like uh, i covered the saint john's home opener against saint peter's and they played a real bad game and they ended up winning basically with a three pointer with two seconds left and it was just so weird because this was a real game you know the fans would be going crazy and it was just it's it's just so different and it's just it's really i mean it's something i don't want to get used to you know because fans are what make sports i mean they're they're what makes uh, you know, it's love sports. There, there. It's, it's why we care because people care, and it's just, it's just very strange without it. I mean, I think we're. I think by the summer, I think you'll start seeing fans at baseball games around here. And once the vaccine really gets around to going, you know, uh, I just can't see it for 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 basketball, college basketball. I just, unfortunately, I just don't see it happening around here. And that's a good touching off point. So it, from a Rutgers perspective, you know, you, you've obviously, uh, you know, covered Rutgers. Uh, Various amounts over the years. Obviously, they they were there wasn't a lot for you to cover uh, when they weren't really relevant for a long time. It, it, starting with football first, uh, how how surprised were you with with how they did in Greg Schiano's first season? And, and do you think that uh, the season they had from a national perspective changed perception at all? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I look, I wasn't against the Schiano hire. I just I'm always kind of against kind of going back, going backwards, and going to the past. But I didn't think it was a bad hire. I just, I don't know, I didn't love it. But, man, I went to his introductory press conference, and I was, first of all, I was blown away by, the, you know, that was obviously before COVID, and I was impressed then. And then I actually thought, I thought COVID would, was great for them because when, when we thought they weren't going to play because he was he was doing well recruiting just based on his first time at Rutgers. And, I you know, we all knew this, we all thought this was going to be a really tough season for them, and I thought playing the actual season might hurt his momentum because people would say, well, yeah, you were great the first time, but look what you did. You know, they wouldn't, obviously, a lot of people won't, won't give coaches time, and they'll just say, well, your first year you were bad, so use it against him. But they were so impressive 
considering what they're winning. I know they look, they could have easily won four or five games. I know they only won three, but they could have easily won more. And look, they're all, he's only going to upgrade the talent level. The coaching staff seems terrific. The enthusiasm is at all time high. I mean, I don't think even the, the most diehard Rutgers fans could not have expected what they got this year. I don't, in my opinion. It was uh, certainly, uh, I think, best case scenario with all the circumstances uh, and, and how they finished the season and um, not even just wins and losses, but how the team responded uh, and, and how they, they've established such a strong culture in such a short time, I think is pretty remarkable, which leads me to my next question. You know, I think we all have a good idea of what the floor is with Shiano at Rutgers, but, but what do you think the long-term ceiling is for Rutgers football with Greg Shiano as head coach? You know, before the season, I if you would have asked me that, I would have said, you know, the hope is maybe get to a bowl two every three years, you know. But after what I saw this year and just how how well they're doing recruiting, I mean, I, I think you might need to maybe raise that a little bit. Maybe this is a team that could be in the mix for one of the top two or three spots in the division, you know, every year or two or every three years, you know, once they when they really have their best players or upperclassmen. You know, the start has just been so good. I think it's unfair to say, well, you know, it's Rutgers still. It's, you know, they can only go go so far. I mean, Michigan right now is a mess. Michigan State is, is is you know, has a new coach in Mel Tucker, and they haven't got off to a great start. You know, Franklin's got his issues at, at Penn State. I mean, look, Rutgers never going to be Ohio State, but I don't think it's crazy to think that maybe one out of every three years or maybe two out of every four years – they could be, you know, flirty with being in the top two of the top two or top three of that division. You know, if he is going to recruit as well as it looks like he is going to recruit, I don't think it's crazy to think that. I totally agree with you. I think that that the, I think overall for Rutgers athletics, which is what I want to talk to you about as well, it's almost like after so many years of misery, things see, the universe seems to be aligning in a very strange way for Rutgers fans and how. You know, football, and obviously we're going to get to basketball in a second. Just everything seems to be coming together in a way that Rutgers suffered early on in the Big Ten, but it seems like they're really well positioned now for the future. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're a Rutgers fan, you got to be pinching yourself. I mean, I do feel bad for the basketball, the real big basketball fan, because, I mean, how long have you been waiting for a season like this? <laughs> and, and you can't go to games. It's just, it's almost like the U.S. saying, all right, we, you're finally really good, but we're still not going to give you everything. You know, I mean, it. If you're a big Rutgers fan, it's it's got to be it's got to be maddening. You know, I like I cover St. John's obviously very closely, and you know the the support Rutgers has kind of reminds me of St. John's, where different with no football, but if the team is really good, everyone in New York City all of a sudden loves St. John's. It's a program that's gets that you either love or hate in the area, but if they're really good, and that's obviously it doesn't happen much the last two decades, people kind of everyone gets on the bandwagon. I kind of feel the same way about Rutgers in, in Jersey that when Rutgers is really good, all of a sudden everyone says, Oh, I love Rutgers. And it's just a shame that in this year where they look like they're a legit top 10 team. And look, I, I know it's early, but they have the makings of a top 10 team that you can't be filling that building. It's, it really is a shame. I, I, I do feel for, for Rutgers fans because this is the team that they've been waiting for forever. And now you, you can't uh, you can't be in there rooting them on. It is bittersweet. Uh, I think last year really hurt at the end of the season. You know where they, they had those two definitive wins to end the regular season. We knew they were going to go to the in-state tournament, and the drought uh, continued simply because the tournament was canceled. I think that was a bitter pill. Um, 
I, I, I look at it twofold. Yes, it's it's painful to not be able to be at games this year, but also it is a it, it brings joy to people right now where I think joy is needed in the in the world. So uh, I think from that perspective, Rutgers fans should, should appreciate it. I think they do. And and kind of segueing into hoops now, back five years ago where the program was in shambles, you know, Steve Peichel wasn't a high-profile hire. Obviously, they flirted with Danny Hurley a second time. You know, what did you initially think of the hire? And, and did you ever think they would we'd be talking about a potential top 10 Rutgers team this this early in the rebuild? I don't know if I'd ever say I thought you'd be talking about a top 10 Rutgers team ever, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I have to pitch myself. But, I mean, I thought it was okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I, you know, I, I look, I've expressed, at least early on in his tenure, I thought – his staff needed like a recruiting shark. He never did that. He never brought in someone like that. And look, I was dead wrong on it. I'll, I'll admit it. You know, the one thing that now, look, I'm not as plugged into the fan base as other people. You know, I don't cover Rutgers on a, as a, as a beat. Mike, my, my, the big thing I'm curious is during those three losing seasons where people getting impatient, where people, you know, I mean, it's easy to forget now that after last year's breakthrough and this year's start that, you know, his first three seasons, they were losing seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, the question I ha- I have is were Pete, were there, was there, was there a segment of the fan base that was sick of losing? You know, you kind of see it with St. John's already, you know, they have Mike Anderson's probably their best coach they've had in a long time. And, you know, they, they, they went over 500 last year. They were achieved. They're off to a little slow start in the league. You have impatient fans already kind of questioning the hire. And what I tell these fans are, you can't you can't blame him for the last twenty years. It's his second season, and I think you get that a lot with these losing franchises or losing programs. That even when you get a good coach in, that coach isn't given the patience he deserves because the coaches before him failed. It's a great point. I, I think it's it's certainly there was some criticism around that third year. I, I, I think it's there was certainly a, a portion of the fan base tied to what you said before that was completely checked out after, you know, they, they weren't there for the end of the Eddie Jordan era and they really didn't come back right away for Steve Peichel. It was really that third year where things changed, where you started to see some hope They had that big, uh, big 10 tournament run at the garden. Right. Right. I remember that, you know, that really got people believing, but, but I think that yes, when they had a couple bad losses, they actually lost to Stony Brook at home. Uh, you started to see some impatience building um, but I think for longtime fans that have followed this program forever, I think we knew pretty early on that um, he was building the right way and that, you know, uh, the fact that his team had identity right away with defense and rebounding, it was a long-lasting philosophy. Um, and I think the key has been offensively, they've just progressed year after year as the talent has improved. But there, there was a little bit of impatience. I think what now is going to be interesting, you know, we're talking now right before the Ohio State game, uh, two days before Christmas, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see the reaction when they lose that first game this season. I think you have some people that <laughs> I think expectations should be extremely high, but I think that you have, to be honest, some some football first fans that are fo- following basketball very seriously now. That you know, football, yeah, one loss is amplified. Where basketball, yeah, right. good teams lose seven to ten games a year in a full season. So it's, it's interesting uh, how the fan base as a whole is handled. Uh, having that such a good team so far, but I think overall, uh, I think you know people are thrilled to death with with how it is, and you know uh, I, I believe in Pike early, but I think where he has the program so quickly is is really astonishing, and I, I don't know what your take is, but I think he's got to be the front runner for National Coach of the Year so far. I mean, he's clearly in the mix, you know. I mean, look, he's 
he lost Geo Baker and didn't lose a step. They've had injuries, and I mean, it's it's impressive. I mean, it's look, it's when you look at the state of college basketball and, and, and with you know these top elite prospects now starting to go this G League route, you're going to see a lot more teams kind of maybe not quite to the extent of you know lower rated three star recruits, but this is going to be more the philosophy. Like experience wins, you know. Even even when you had all these elite guys coming in, I mean, two one and done teams have won the, you know, have won the won it all since this really started. So it, it's really been about experience and, and and depth. That's really now what wins in college basketball. Look, Rutgers has plenty of it. There's no doubt. I mean, what what impressed me the most is you look at this roster. I mean, yes, Montez Mathis was a four star. Yeah, I know Omarui was a top fifty guy, but their best players were guys that. People didn't really want Geo Baker and uh, Ron Harper Jr. Hey, I I didn't think Ron Harper Jr. was going to be anything special, you know. I mean, Miles Johnson, I think he was was he ranked like sub four hundred. He's like one of the best big men in the country, and this is a guy who has no problem coming off the bench. I mean, he's I'm a big fan of Miles Johnson. I I think he's terrific. I think he's underrated nationally. Yeah, so so it's interesting about Miles Johnson. I actually interviewed a, uh, a spoke to a scout in Southern California when Miles Johnson came to Rutgers, and he flat out said he did not think he was a high major player, and he had watched him all through his, his high school career. Said he had the best hands he's ever seen in his career, but um, just didn't think, almost thought he was too nice of a guy and didn't have the toughness to be able to compete in the Big Ten. So I think it, for me, the, the the development that they've had with him and Jay Young, the former assistant, really was the catalyst for his development. But yeah, Johnson's growth as a player has been uh, pretty, pretty amazing. You're a Rutgers fan. You just got to be thrilled. I mean, and now, you know, you're starting to see the recruiting, the recruitment really improve now that they've won. I mean, you know, you have, you have, you have uh, Jaden Jones coming in next year. who's a very good prospect. Obviously, Omar Ruiz got a gr- high ceiling. I mean, Mathis has really come on. I mean, they have a lot, you know, it's starting to improve. It's like they say, you know, I mean, once you and you know you, you're, it's taken longer with Seton Hall to start getting their recruiting up, even though they've been winning now for half decade. But now you're seeing with them too, where when you win games, you're going to start getting better kids. It's just it's the way it goes. It just it takes time, and it's kind of what I try to preach with the with the St. John's fans who are who are complaining about well we're not getting four or five star kids, even though the three star kid they got last year was an all Big East on the all Big East rookie team, Julian Champagny. Like it takes time. And look, I give Rutgers fans credit, at least the ones that weren't jumping off the bandwagon, because after all the losing, to sit through three more losing years and be okay with it and just believe in the process and believe in what what Steve Pico was building, and now you're you're reaping the rewards. I mean, I give them credit because it's not easy to to suffer through all the losing and then and, and keep doing it. But that's the bottom line. Each coach is different. You can't punish one coach for what another did. Rutgers was 279th in Ken Palm the year he took the year before he he took over. So uh, I try to remind people that I think it's if you look at the parallels between him and Shiano. Shiano took over the worst Power Five college football team in America. Shiano took over the worst college, uh, you know, high major college basketball team in America. And to see both of them doing what they're doing at the same time certainly feels like you know a very special time. I mean, I, look, football obviously has a long way to go. And it's, it's easier to turn around a basketball program than a football program. I think that's pretty clear. It's, you know, you only need a few really good players and all of a sudden things change. Football, it's it's obviously different. I don't think Rutgers football is going to be a top 10 team in the next two years. But, I mean, if I'm a fan of both teams, I'm definitely encouraged. I mean, I 
what what Shiano's done so far, you know, in, a, in basically a year, I don't think anyone could have predicted whether it's recruiting, whether it's the wins. You know, I, I don't even think it's the three wins with football that that really stood out. It's how competitive they were. Because just think about the last, you know, since they've been in the Big Ten, they just get blown away by everybody. I guess what the one blowout was Ohio State. I guess you would say. Yeah, they were down thirty-five-three at half, but they actually outscored them in the second half and had, you know, they, they made it a game enough that Ohio State right. couldn't uh, empty the bench. And even that is a big step up. We, we we've seen what Ohio State has done to them in recent years. I mean, that that would be my big what I would like the most. The talent is only going to get better, and even without that upgraded talent, yet he really got the most out of this team, and they were competitive basically every game in this league and that's without obviously off season stuff and, and a shortened training camp and, and other uh, obvious, obvious issues. So Zach, just a couple more. Uh, one, one is it, going back to hoops, talking about that local dynamic, you mentioned Seton Hall, St. John's, obviously you cover, uh, you know, even UConn now with Rutgers, you know, how do you assess all those four kind of local programs in terms of their long-term outlook uh, moving forward? I mean, I think UConn's going to be a monster again before long. I, the, rejoining the Big East was such a – it was such a no-brainer, obviously, for them, but also for the league. It raises their brand. You've already seen it. I think they have three top 100 recruits. They have a big-time recruiting class coming in for basketball. Dan Hurley is a is a very good coach. They've had some issues with COVID like everyone this year, but their first game back after like a two-and-a-half-week dub – you know, uh, delay. They almost beat Creighton, a top ten team in the country. Within two years, they're going to be a top fifteen team perennially. I I would be stunned if they're not. Their recruiting has really taken off since coming back to the Big East. So if I had to group those four, I think I would probably put UConn one for the future. I don't think there's any doubt they're going to be a national power again before long. I think Seton Hall and Rutgers are similar. I know, look, Rutgers is better this year, no doubt. But Seton Hall's got a really good – they have a top 25 class coming in next year, probably their best class since 2014, that group that really kind of elevated this program. You know, I'd kind of group those, those them together. You know, they're, they both kind of operate similarly where while they're now starting to get better recruits, the linchpin to their programs is development. You know, look at what Kevin Willard has done with, with God, kind of kind of similar to what, what, what Steve Peichel has done with Miles Johnson and Geo Baker and them. You know, Kevin Willard – his turn, Sandro Mamoukalashvili, it's a, probably a first-round pick this year. You know, Miles Powell, who yeah, he was a far, four-star guy, but, you know, he's going to have a shot to play in the NBA. He takes a guy like Romaro Gill, a junior college player, and, and makes him into one of the best, you know, defensive big men in the country. The key for both these programs is development, and now they're starting to mix in more four-star recruits, which is only going to make the, the coaches' jobs easier. And then St. John's, I mean, right now, I, I think you would have to put them at number four. I really like Mike Anderson. I think he, he he's the kind of coach this program has needed for quite a while. He's no nonsense. You know, he, he's going to get his guys in. But it's just, look, it's it's going to take time. You know, Kevin Willard made his first tournament in his sixth year. You know, Peichel was going to make it in his fourth year. It, it It's not going to happen overnight. And you're looking at a program in St. John's that has had no con- continuity for 20 years. You know, it, it's just fans are going to, as much as they hate to hear this, they have to be patient. And you just got to let him, you know, find his way. You know, his first year he brought in Julian Champagny, who was an underrated three-star recruit, and he was on the all-Big East uh, rookie team. This year their starting point guard is a freshman, Pasha Alexander, who looks like he's going to be a good player. They have another good player coming in next year, another three-star guy who 
they think is better than is rated. So they're kind of going to try to emulate what, say, what what Seton Hall and Rutgers did with, you know, finding diamonds in the rough and developing them and having an identity with pressure defense. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe in two years that order is, slit, is flipped. But I think right now I, I don't I don't think you could you could order it any differently when you're looking for the future. So last question, time back to, to you know, your market, New York City. When teams win, you know, they, they do do well. But uh, I, I wanted to ask you, those teams we just talked about, obviously they're all in the Big East except Rutgers now. If they become a, a consistent winner in hoops and football, being in the Big Ten, does that kind of make them a unique entity and kind of, you know, uh, sustain them long term in terms of having an interest with, in New York City and, and kind of developing that market? Yeah, I think it helps. I also think it has to, you know, at least with Rutgers basketball, I think it also has to do with the other teams. You know, is is St. John's a good team? St. John's a good team. It, I think more people would be will be focused on St. John's. But if St. John's is very good and Seton Hall's, you know, kind of meandering, I think people will focus on Rutgers. I do think they're starting to get more attention. I do think bringing Shiano in definitely raised their profile, the football team. You know, we, we, we covered a decent amount of Rutgers stuff this year, and a big part of that is Shiano and the attention he brought. So I think that's significant. Anytime you have a high number next to your name, like the basketball team, that's going to bring attention. You know, today, initially, I was supposed to cover Seton Hall, Georgetown, but I, you know, I told my boss, hey, Seton Hall's probably going to win easily, number one. Number two, look, we haven't really done a ton of Rutgers. They're number 11 in the country. They're playing Ohio State. We should do this game. You know, it only makes sense. I think the longer they have this high ranking, the more attention they will get. And yeah, I do think people will. We'll focus on it and we'll listen, no doubt. I mean, it's all about winning, you know. You you win games, people care. That's that's really how it goes. And you know, it's a it's a front runner town. I think we all know that. Definitely, uh, well, Zach. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I guess any parting shots you want to uh, make at uh, Dave White, your favorite Rutgers fan, who you've had uh, some good banter with over the years. But, uh... <laughs> Dave is the best. I'm, you know, I like to mess with him with the Rutgers scheduling stuff with basketball, but. <laughs> Dave is one of those Rutgers fans who really deserves it. And when I say, like, I feel bad for the fans who don't get a game, he's like one of the guys I'm talking about, you know? The the people who are who've, who've kind of suffered through so much losing and have just dreamed of a team like this, and now they have it and they can't go to games. He's like one of those people. I well, That's kind of who I'm – you know, the, he's the kind of fan I'm talking about for, you know, the Rutgers fan who can't go watch this team play because they deserve it, you know? I mean, just – you know, maybe there's some miracle, and by March, fans can go to games or worse next year. But you know, I don't, I don't think Rutgers is like just going to be really good this year, and then all of a sudden they're back to like, you know, this is he's developed a program. That's what's that's what you like the most about Rutgers and Seton Hall is they're developing programs where you're going to be, you're not going to be great every year. Seton Hall last year was a top 15 team; they're not as good this year, but they're still probably going to be a tournament team. That's what Rutgers is developing too, where. Yeah, you're going to have some years where you're better than others, but you're not going to go from 25 wins and being really good to 14. You might go from 25 to 19 and you make the tournament. That's that's what, you know, unless you're a Kentucky or Duke fan, that's what you want to see as a college basketball fan. You want to just be in contention every year to make the tournament and have a chance to win games. You know, you're not, no, there are very few programs that are going to be the mix to win it all every year. Great way to end it. Thank you so much, Zach Brazilian, New York Post. Uh, happy holidays, and thanks so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate uh, you listening and reading On the Banks as much as you do. We'll continue to have uh, 
uh, as much coverage as, as we, we can uh, with all our contributors that volunteer their time. And I just wanted, I personally wanted to thank everyone that writes for the site as well as that reads the site on a, a regular basis. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are without you. And I wish everyone a happy holiday season. Thank you. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.